0: Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. And next week we're going to talk about is heaven for real? And what about hell? So it's going to fit really well. We have some other topics that, that might help clarify some things in our mind. In a couple of weeks, we're going to look at the whole subject of Christianity and its response to homosexuality. And then finally, is the Bible reliable? So I hope that you'll come back and and wrestle with these. You may not agree with everything that I say, but I want to urge you to dig into the scriptures. God does speak into every one of these issues. And so as we prepare to go into today's message, let's just begin by um, offering ourselves to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to um, open up your word, to hear from you. And Lord, this is a very sensitive topic. We pray your blessing as we look at your word that we can have clarity and that we could have confidence that in the midst of our pain and suffering, you're working out something beautiful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Author Lee Strobel says this issue of good and evil and suffering in the world is the single biggest obstacle for spiritual seekers. And here's the dilemma. If we believe that God is all-powerful, all-good, all-loving, then why doesn't he do something about the pain and suffering in the world or the pain and suffering that you're going through? Why doesn't he act? Why doesn't he answer all of our prayers? Why doesn't he intervene and put a stop to injustice? And Christians have struggled with this for centuries. And for the atheist, it's a pretty simple solution for him or for her. They just say, there must not be a God. Because if he were anything like us, he would do something about it. He would intervene. He would act. And because he doesn't... I don't believe that there exists a God. I think all of us, at one time or another, have wrestled with this issue. But it's really fascinating that two people can look at the same subject or experience the same thing and come out to different conclusions. Christopher Hitchens is a well-known atheist, written many books on atheism and why he doesn't believe in God. He grew up in a home, had had a rough childhood, but so did his brother. His brother Peter, on the other hand, is a very devout Christian has written books on the defense of Christianity. Two men who've experienced virtually the same things through their lives have come out in different places. And it all depends on how you're looking at your pain and your suffering. Christians are often guilty of minimizing the the pain of others and the struggles they go through. And I know we mean well, but sometimes we say things like, uh, you know, time heals all wounds, or they're in a better place. You know, we, we try to, Um, ease people's pain but oftentimes those things don't really matter a whole lot I'm hurting right now my heart's broken right now that may be true what you said but that's not what I need to hear right now because this is a very difficult place that I'm in in my life what do you say to someone who's facing an extremely painful situation and what do you do when you yourself are in the midst of that where do you turn How do you look at God? Well, I hope today by um, looking through Scripture, we're not going to find simple pat answers, but maybe some clarity on what's happening in our lives, where God is in the midst of all our pain and suffering that we experience. And so if you've got a bulletin, you might follow along and jot some things. There'll be more things that that you have room to write down in your notes, but maybe something will strike you that you'll want to jot it down. But I want to give you four conclusions about the subject of suffering. First of all, pain and evil are the result of free will, the consequence of free will in the world. God created a world that was perfect and good. There was no suffering in this world until man sinned. And when man sinned, all of a sudden, he began to suffer the consequences of his actions. And so did the whole world. In fact, the Bible says all of creation began to be an upheaval over the sinfulness of man. All suffering originates With sin. Even though today you'll see natural disasters and things happening in the world, it's happened because man has broken his covenant with God. And suffering and evil and pain are all part of this package of free will. You can't have one without the other. Because free will allows us the opportunity or the possibility to to, to choose good and to choose evil. Had God not given us free will and we were all robotic, We just did uh, what God would tell us to do. If God was just a puppet master making us perform, we wouldn't have choice. And therefore, you couldn't even choose to love God because there wouldn't be a choice not to love him. So the fact that we have free will in this world makes it possible that there is pain and suffering. And you know what? Pain is something that is a a necessary part of life because it, it allows you to feel alive. If you touched a stove and, um, and it was hot and you recoiled, it's because you have pain receptors in your hand. It tells you, I must be alive, because if you were dead, those pain receptors wouldn't work. It's only people who are alive that feel pain. The dead don't. And so we feel pain because we're alive. Well, how does that work with God's sovereignty, How come things are so messed up if God's sovereign, if God's in control? Well, it depends on your view of sovereignty. Some people view God's sovereignty that God always gets his way. That everything that happens is exactly what God wanted to happen. And that's not not exactly true. Sovereignty means that God, in the ultimate scheme of things, is in control. But within that, that oversight of all of creation, God has allowed things to happen. For example, when you choose to sin, did God make you sin? No. But God allowed you the potential to sin through your own choice. Well, then how is God sovereign? Because even your free will is part of God's greater will and purpose for mankind. He wills that we would seek him. He wills that we will repent of sin. He wills that we would surrender our lives to him. Now, not all of us do those things, but God has allowed them within his master plan. And you know, in the end, God's not thrown off his chair. God's not surprised God's not shaken. God's still in control. All of history is moving in a direction that God's in full charge of. It's like God's the, God's the uh, captain of the ship and the ship is sailing and it's going to reach its destination. What happens on the ship? Well, there's all kinds of things that happen on that ship. But the ship is going to reach the destination. God's plan will reach its final fulfillment, just as Scripture says. But within that plan, there is pain, there is suffering, suffering, there is death. You know, I think, I think we would recognize that even um, in our own parenting practices. For example, when my son went off to college about 1,000 miles away, we um, helped him get a car. He drove off to the school 1,000 miles away. At one time, when he was heading back to school, he got in an accident. He was stranded out on an on icy interstate. You know, we wish we could have gone to rescue him, but we couldn't. We let him go. Now, there are some parents, and I went to college with a parent whose child was heading back um, to school after Christmas break, and she was killed in a car accident. Now, could those parents have stopped that from happening? Yes, they could have. They could have. They could have said, you're not going to any college, and you're not going to drive any car. You're going to stay right here in our house. We're going to make sure nothing happens to you. So we're we're going to protect you and put the shield around you so you can't get hurt. But we know that it's, it's, it's love that allows our child to have that freedom. It's love that says, I want you to go to school. I want you to have freedom. I want you to mature as an individual. And in that love, there's danger. There's danger. And in God's love for us, allowing us freedom to choose, there is danger. And we recognize that. There are bad things that can happen to very good people. God did not create humans to be puppets or machines, but to choose love. So they're a consequence of free will. Second conclusion is our view of suffering is subjective and short-lived. Subjective and short-lived. You know, it depends on who you're around of how great your pain is. I remember at a retreat with a bunch of uh, 5th and 6th graders and there was a group of kids on a Friday night who were uh, in a circle, arms around each other, weeping because they were sharing stories of how one girl was cutting her wrist. Another girl shared the pain of her parents' divorce and how she was treated and mistreated within uh, her step parents. And all these kids are just sharing these terrible stories. And, and one of the kids, his name was Chris, couldn't think of what was bad in his life. So when it came around to him, he felt he had to say something. So there's all these horrible, painful stories. And he says, My mom and dad smoke. That's, <laughs> that's as bad as he could come up with. You know, our, our pain and suffering are relative. It's subjective to where you live, how you grew up. Many people grow up in cultures where it's a daily fight to find food. Where every night you hear gunfire and bombs. Where at any moment gunmen may come to your house and drag your mother off. There are people who live in that every single day. Can you imagine living in Israel right now? Palestine. Palestine, that whole area where there's tension. Can you imagine what it's like? With all that going around constantly, pain is relative. When I was um, in grade school, you know, I've never experienced a lot of pain. But I remember in grade school how I hated getting shots in the arm. You know, to me that was like almost death. And so when it came time for the, the school shots, some of you might remember you went into the gymnasium, lined up, and they would wipe you with a little alcohol wipe and then give you an injection right there. And we had kids passing out. Um, I hated that. In fact, my dad used to tell me that he had like 20 shots before he went to the Philippines in World War II, and I thought, I will never, ever join the army. I'm not going to get 20 shots. I'd rather get killed than take 20 shots in the arm. And, you know, now I've had all kinds of shots. They don't bother me. But at that time, that was the highest level of pain I could experience. But, you know, the Bible says that Jesus was acquainted with griefs and sorrows. And as a pastor, I've learned that my pain is so small compared to the pain of others. In fact, I would say on a scale of 1 to 10, my physical pain has has been at a 1 or 2. I've had more emotional pain. In fact, I think sometimes that's worse. I've had emotional pain much higher. But, you know, there have been some horrible stories of people and what they've had to endure. In fact, as I was planning the sermon out, I, I, I was taken back to my first Internship at a little church in Wisconsin. The, co- the town was Footville, a town of just a, several hundred people. And there was an elder in that church. His name was George Franklin. George had a farm. And one day when he was loading up the grain to, to dump into the, the grinder, he backed his truck up and tipped the bed and the grain poured out and he heard a blood-curdling scream. He didn't notice, but his little girls were jumping on the grain. And one of the girls got pulled into the grinder and died. And that man got up in front of the church the next Sunday, a a weeping father to thank God for his little girl. And I thought, God, I can't imagine what he's had to live with his whole life, feeling somewhat responsible for the death of his little girl. You know, there have been all kinds of stories within our own church of people who've watched loved ones die Take him back to little Dexter, that little baby who had cancer and lived life just a year. Of little Ava who was seven or eight years old and suffered a heart attack at school and died. Think of all the moms who've had miscarriages at midterm, and these are hard. I, I think of parents who've lost kids to cancer, parents who've had kids get murdered, and it's hard. You think, my pain is so small compared to the pain of other people. It's it's really relative to who you are and what you've been through. Our view of pain oftentimes is very short-sighted as well. We we see pain for what it is right now, but we don't see the bigger picture of where pain may be leading us. That pain can actually do some good things in our lives. Not that the cause is good But the result can be good. All we can see sometimes is right now, where we are, the pain, the struggle, the hurt. We can't see beyond it. But it's like many things in life. uh, Working out, for example. When you work out, it's painful. It's hard. And you're sore afterwards. But something is happening within you that's making you stronger. There's a purpose being worked out in the midst of your pain. I know our first response is, Take it away! Take it away, God. I don't like hurting. And I think sometimes we're like the the animals that sometimes get trapped. You know, sometimes somebody in the scientific field will trap an animal in order to inject it, to protect it from a disease. And so picture the bear who gets caught in a trap and he sees the the people coming. And in his mind, he's thinking, they're here to kill me. They're here to kill me. I've got to fight. I've got to run. And he doesn't realize that, that he was just shot in order to be taken down so they could minister health to him. At the moment, all that bear feels is I hurt and it doesn't feel good. I think that's where we are many times. We see the present and the pain and we wonder what good can come out of it. But that leads me to the third conclusion is that pain and suffering can be a powerful force for good. There's a TV show coming out and they actually use this quotation, but it came from Friedrich Nietzsche. What doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Now, he was an atheist He didn't lead anybody to the Lord. And he went so far to say that cruelty was not bad, but pity was. And that the lion was the king of the jungle because he was ruthlessly cruel. Now, we don't go that far, but the truth is pain can actually help us in many ways. Some of the greatest lessons learned come through periods of pain. In fact, the greatest generation, the World War II generation, It was a group of people who struggled to make a living, who worked hard in the factories and worked hard in the military, who sacrificed and lived frugally and tried to make things better for their kids. But you know what happened is they made things better for their kids. They raised a generation who were selfish and spoiled oftentimes. Hardship can, can really do some good things within us. That's why a parent struggles when a child, for example, is arrested and is put in jail. And the kid calls and says, Mom, Dad, will you bail me out? Now you've got a decision. Do I take the easy route, alleviate the pain, rescue them from jail, or do they need to face the consequences of their actions? And as a parent, you agonize over the pain they're going to experience there. And you're torn. What do I do? What do I do? But you know inside of you that sometimes you have to experience pain in order to grow. And I think all of us can look back at our lives Even though we might not want to repeat a situation, we would say that that difficult situation helped me to grow, helped me to be stronger, helped me to be better. Gerald Sitzer wrote a book called Grace Disguised. And in that book, he tells a story of uh, he was out on a drive to a church event one night with his family, and they were um, hit by an oncoming car. And that accident killed his wife, his mother, and his daughter. Three generations of the most precious women in his, in his life were all taken in one accident, and it sent him reeling. It sent him into depression. It sent him searching for God. And in his book, Grace Describes, he says, They learned his pain was wonderfully clarifying. It seems like something odd to say from someone who suffered so much, but here's what he wrote Never have I felt as much pain as I have in the last three years. Yet never have I experienced as much pleasure in simply being alive and living an ordinary life. Never have I felt so broken. Yet never have I been so whole. Never have I been so aware of my weakness and vulnerability. Yet never have I been so content and felt so strong. Never has my soul been more dead. It never has, And never has my soul been more alive. God is growing my soul, making it bigger, and filling it with himself. Good can come out of suffering. In fact, I want to look at four good things the bible says come out of suffering number 1 it refines our faith it refines our faith in second peter chapter 1 verses 6 and 7 peter writes in all this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials these have come so that The proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Sometimes pain works to refine our faith. Pain becomes one of those times where we either move closer to God or away from God. C.S. Lewis said God allows pain to be his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I've known people in the midst of a very difficult situation say that actually brought them closer to God. Now, Rick Hatton, some of you may remember Rick, Rick experienced cancer and God chose um, to make him struggle with cancer and, and eventually healed him of the cancer. But during that time of struggle with the cancer, he said it saved his marriage because it caused him and his wife to focus on what really was important and how they didn't want to lose each other. He actually went to the place where he said, you know, I thank God for that struggle. I thank God for that period of my life. I I don't thank God for tragedy. I don't thank God for disease. But the Bible does say, in all things, in all things, give thanks. Why? Because God God works even in the midst of painful situations to do something good, to get our attention. Pain is not the final word. Pain also develops character. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. It says, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Suffering produces character, makes us stronger. In 1962, Victor and Mildred Gortzel published a book called Cradles of Eminence. They looked at 413 very accomplished people. And they, they decided they wanted to see if there was a common thread in all of their lives that led to greatness. Do you know what the most common thread was? They found in 392, over 95% of these people, these people who, who seem to excel in life, who accomplish more than the ordinary pe- person, do you know what they found that was common in almost all of them? They all overcame a major struggle in their life. They all came from a difficult place in life to, to rise up. And what, he, what they pointed out was that hardship... Often is the ladder to accomplishment. That going through difficult things and the character that's developed equips us then for the greater challenges of life. So it develops character within our lives. You guys know that I like the Green Bay Packers. And the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers is a guy named Aaron Rodgers. When Aaron was in um, high school and was applying for different colleges, he got rejected by all the major universities. He was accepted by a little community college in Northern California, Butte College. It was during his first year as a quarterback at that college when a, a scout from the University of California came to look at one of his receivers but said, man, that's a pretty good quarterback and decided to offer Aaron Rodgers a scholarship to come to the University of California, which he did and where he excelled and became the starting quarterback, ended up being a first round draft choice of the Green Bay Packers. Now, during that period of rejection, when Aaron Rodgers kept getting denied access to all these other schools, when they didn't think he was worth investing in, where they didn't think he'd ever amount to anything as a, as a college quarterback, he said he kept all of those rejection letters. He still reads them today because they motivate him to prove everyone wrong. Sometimes rejection, sometimes pain, sometimes disappointment motivates you, develops character within you to move forward. Pain also increases dependence. It increases dependence. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, there's a, there's a powerful statement that Paul makes. He's, he's describing his own ministry and what he went through. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the t- troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life itself. You think you're going through tough times? Paul says, I'm, I'm all ready to die. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God allowed it. This happened. Didn't say God made it happen, but this happened. Why did God allow it? so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. And here's what happens. When pain and suffering come and hardship, we can choose one of two paths. Either we'll turn away from God or we'll go closer to God. Many people turn away from God. They say, if that's what God's going to allow, I don't love a God like that. I can't trust a God like that. But let me ask you, then who do you turn to? What do you, what do you gain by turning away from God? Who, who else is going to help you? And even though you may not understand it, I think we're like Peter, who that day the, the thousands um, who were fed fish and bread walked away and Jesus said, aren't you going to go too? And he says, no, to whom shall we go? Where else can we turn but you, God? So even in the midst of not having all the answers, you turn to God. Isn't it interesting that people in, in a very prosperous Western culture can point a finger at God and say, God, I don't believe in you because you don't alleviate suffering in the world. But if you go to third world countries where people are, are suffering... you know what's happening? There's revival. If you go into the the heart of where there's the most suffering in the world, you will find some of the strongest believers in the world. You go to South America, you go to Africa, you go to the Middle East, and you'll find the people who are in the midst of great poverty are turning to to God in, in droves. Why? Because they know that's the only one they can count on. It's the only one that's reliable in their lives. They're depending on him. And finally, it builds affinity. Our our suffering builds affinity. In Philippians chapter 1, I think it says 2 there, but it's actually chapter 1, verse 29. Paul says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. That God allows us not only to believe in Jesus but to suffer for him. I think he does that so we understand the love of Christ. That we understand what he did for us. That Jesus said you'll experience hardship in this world. You're going to experience pain in this world. And if they persecuted me they'll they'll persecute you also. And so our, our suffering builds empathy with Jesus' love. In fact it builds empathy with other believers around the world who are suffering as well. Our our pain should link us with other people who are in pain, and sometimes I think we need to enter into the pain of other people. We need to put ourselves in a position where we feel what they're feeling. Last night, as I was going over the message, my wife walked in, and, and she had a tissue wiping her eyes. And she handed me her little computer, a little tablet, and says, "Read this." It was an article online by the, a Catholic journal. Uh, I'm going to show you a picture in a moment. And it's a disturbing picture. And it's not the most graphic one, but it's this disturbing picture. Because right now, in Iraq, Christians are being driven out by the tens of thousands. They're not only being driven out of the country, they're being raped, tortured for believing in Jesus. If they don't recant their faith and convert to Islam, they're being tortured. And it's gone to the point now where they're going to make it really painful. They're going after the women and the children. They posted this picture to warn the Christians. Look at this picture. I want that to sear into your mind that while we sit here and say, God, it's kind of a hot day today. I sure could use a new car. I'm struggling with this car of mine. And why do, why do I have to deal with this back pain that you recognize there are people around the world who can sing the songs we sang? I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. And someone says, Oh, yeah? How strong is your faith when we point a gun at your child's head? There is a park in Iraq. And this is going to probably upset some of you, but you need to know what's happening. There's a park in Iraq where they have taken the heads of children they've decapitated and they've put them on stakes. To tell people, if you're going to cling to your Jesus, this is what we'll do to your kids. This is not some, some World War II atrocity in Germany. This is right now. This is today in Iraq where we had soldiers go and fight for freedom. And yet this ISIS group is flexing their power and say, okay, you say you believe. And you know what? At last night I was ashamed of myself saying, I have not yet even asked the church to pray for this. And so I'm going to ask you right now, If there's one thing we ought to be doing every day is praying for our brothers and sisters who are in the midst of horrible pain and suffering. And so would you pray with me? Father, I am so humbled today. Even as we sang the song, I am not ashamed. Father, I inside I thought of those believers who stand at gunpoint and are challenged to say those words, are you ashamed now? Father, I don't want to trade places with them, but we plead. Would you intervene? Would you cause the world's attention to go to that place? Would you motivate our nation, Father, to respond in ways that would help Father, we don't know what to do but cry out to you that you would strengthen those believers to be strong in their faith, that you would bless those little children, Father, who, who are so trusting in you, who've been treated so wrongly. Have mercy, Father. May this come to an end soon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's kind of hard to look at your own pain In the in the midst of something like that. But God calls us to identify, to have affinity with those who are suffering. And so the last thing I want to say about pain is choosing our response to suffering is more important than finding a reason for our suffering. When it comes to our own suffering and what we're dealing with, you can search for answers, but you know, I don't know if you'll get one. There's a whole book of a Bible. A guy named Job, in the Old Testament, he's crying out to God. And all of his friends are trying to figure out why he's suffering the way it is. Maybe it's because you sinned, Job. Maybe it's because something you did or didn't do. And Job's wife says, "Yeah, yeah turn your back on that kind of a guy that allows you to go through this. But Job doesn't. But he has the, the fortitude to cry out to God. God, why is this going on? And God says, okay, I've got some questions for you now. But even in the midst of all that, God doesn't give a clear answer why he's suffering the way he is. And I don't know if you'll ever find the reason for your pain and suffering and why what happened in your life happened. Maybe it's not until you get to stand before God face to face. I have a feeling at that point, when you're in heaven standing before the Lord, it won't matter. But God doesn't give us a reason. He tells us to respond with faith. And so here are some ways to respond. Number one, to seek his deliverance. To seek his deliverance. Now, we don't have time to read all these scriptures, but the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1 that, that he's encouraging these believers to pray for him and that God ultimately is going to work out for his deliverance. But he says, I'm going to be delivered in one of two ways. Either here on earth, I'm going to get freed from this prison or God's going to be del- deliver me into his presence. And which is better? Well, I'd rather go there if I had my choice. But God's going to deliver me one way or the other. I think when you suffer trauma and, and challenge and illness and tragedy, yes, the Bible says to pray. If anyone's sick, have the elders come and pray over them. By all means, seek God's deliverance. All through the Bible, we can see people crying out to God in the midst of oppression for deliverance. God, God oftentimes answers those prayers and delivers just as we've asked. But he doesn't always do that. God doesn't always heal us. God doesn't always deliver us. You read through the book of Hebrews, and while it chronicles the great faith of many of the believers of past, the very end of that chapter, the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 12 says, some people had their property confiscated. Some people were sawed in two. Some people were were thrown to the beast. And so God delivers ultimately, but but he doesn't always heal and, and deliver here upon the earth. Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, said, God, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to suffer on the cross. But then he ended his prayer by saying, but not my will, yours be done. And in the Lord's prayer, Jesus taught us to pray for deliverance. Deliver us from evil. But remember what's after that? But yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory forever. And I think that's a wonderful way to pray. God, deliver me. But ultimately, may you be glorified. May you be praised in the midst of this. Another choice we can make is to reflect his grace, to reflect his grace in how we respond to the challenges we're going through. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, Paul has this thorn in the flesh. We're not quite sure what it is, but my hunch is after looking at the whole context of, of the chapter before and after, Paul's dealing with his opponents, people who are, who are getting in the way of his ministry, who are messengers of Satan, He prays and prays that God would take it away. But here's what God said to him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. He determines that God, even if I have to deal with this thing, even if I have to live with this thing, I will reflect your glory. Because when I'm weak, it causes me to trust you more. I'm going to reflect your grace in the midst. I've seen people who've dealt with physical disabilities, with the loss of loved ones, with a lot of pain in their lives, but they handle it with such grace. What a testimony to a world when they see how we handle hardship within our lives. We are to anticipate His reward. Because we believe there is something better. The book of Revelation, and we won't read chapter 21, but it says there's coming a new heaven and a new earth. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more sin. It's all going to be washed away because everything will be made new. We look forward to that time. In fact, oftentimes we tolerate the, the aches and pains of this body as it grows older. And, says, and we say, you know what, there's coming a day when I won't have to put up with that anymore. And there are many people whose whole lives have been lives of hardship and frustration and difficulty. And yet heaven becomes that place where we recognize this is spring training. This is the preseason. This is a short period of time in light of the big game of eternity. So we, we tolerate the pain and the struggle on earth for the sake of the game of eternity. And finally, and maybe most importantly, we can embrace his presence. One of the greatest cries during a period of pain and sorrow is to say, God, where are you? God, where are you? Do you even hear me? Do you care? Are you there? But here's what Scripture says. Psalm 34. Let's look at Psalm 34. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is close to the brokenhearted. He's near to them. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what he was looking for was not an answer not an easy solution what he's looking for is God and I think for most of us when we're suffering when we're when we're in the hospital facing a a, a major surgery you're not looking for the doctor to come in to explain everything and say here's what's going to happen and here's why it's happening what you want more than anything else is that husband or wife or that best friend to come by and assure you it's going to be okay it's going to be okay That's why I think we love Psalm 23, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd. In the midst of that psalm, Psalm 23, here's what it says Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? Why don't we have anything to fear? Because you gave me an answer? You explained it all to me? No, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. No, God. God doesn't always give an answer, but he always gives a savior. Doesn't always give us the answer we're looking for, but he gives us a savior. See, God so loved the world that he didn't make a statement. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. That what we need most of all is to know He is with me. That's why all through Scripture. Over and over again, God reminds his people, I am with you. Never will I leave you or forsake you. See, I think there's something greater than all the physical, emotional pain we suffer. It's relational pain. It's being alone, being abandoned. Yet the scripture says that God says, I am with you. Where is God when I hurt? Why isn't he relieving it? God's right here. He is with me. He will never leave me or forsake me. As the scripture says. And I think God understands the pain we're going through. He understands it so much that God entered into human suffering and the abuse of sin when He sent Jesus Christ to die a gruesome death on a cross. Jesus suffered on a cross. So that God can say to you and me, I understand the consequences of sin. I understand the pain you're going through. And the Bible says in Hebrews, he's a priest who is not unsympathetic to what we're going through because he understands it. He's been there. He suffered too. And we have a savior who is not a Buddha who can close his eyes and fold his arms. He extends his arms in love and grace because he understands what we're going through. I'm going to ask our ushers to um, go to the back as we get ready to share in the Lord's Supper. Because the Bible says that he was broken for us. The Bible says that he was crushed for our sins. And there's not a pain you've experienced in your life that God can't identify with. Sometimes we think that what I'm going through is so unique that nobody understands. So I'm going to stop going to church. I'm going to stop reading my Bible because nobody understands how bad I hurt. But God does. God does. And He offers Jesus as Savior, as your lover, as your friend to walk with you through this. Not only walk through life but walk into eternity through this. While we're taking the Lord's Supper and following the prayer, the ushers will come down the aisles and hand you a tray that has pieces of bread that have been broken, just as Jesus' body was broken for you. We've got little cups of juice. In order to get those, that juice, those grapes were crushed, just as Jesus' body was crushed. He suffered so that we can live. And so as that's being passed, you're going to see some pictures on the screen. And if you want to bow your head in prayer, you can do that, or you can watch the, the, the pictures. There are pictures um, done by an artist named Jonathan, and they remind us of God's great hand, how God is bigger than us and bigger than all we go through, and how God is with us every step of the journey. And I pray that they would minister to you as we celebrate this moment. If you're a believer in Jesus, we invite you, to share the emblems, serve the person next to you, and let's focus our eyes on the one who loves us so dearly. Father, we thank you for the chance right now to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Lord, we thank you that Jesus was a man of sorrows and grief, and he understands. Lord, I know there are many in this room who can say amen to that because they've been in the valley of the shadow of death, but you've been with them and you've walked with them. And so, Lord, we thank you that even today you are with us here. Minister to those who are grieving. Minister to those who are in sorrow now. Minister to those who are in a season of pain. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.